when we talk about people, there's no such thing as seniority. In order to be successful and in, in, in change to the next level, advance on your career, your goal should be to make you not needed to perform your work. You as a developer, you are responsible for the whole process. So you are not only coding and someone will test your code. You will do your own tests. The war room, it's kind of a place where you bring people that have context on the area where the problem is happening. And together we try to fix it. And we found out that we are all struggling with the same problems. Hi, I'm Maria and welcome to the Agile State of Mind and to this Agile Leadership Podcast where I deconstruct the role of engineering manager and try to make sense of the role confusion. What's more, I try to understand the challenge of the transition from a developer or any other role into a leader. You can find this interview both on YouTube and as a podcast. Check the links in the description. And today I have with me Tiago Oliveira. Tiago is an engineering manager in OutSystems and he just got promoted a few weeks ago from a team lead role right? Correct. So this is the other engineering manager role because Tiago now manages the team leads. And I mentioned this because I already have interviewed two engineering managers and they were actually managing the individual contributors within the team. Tiago, on the other hand, will now manage other managers. But of course, the role name is the same. That's the whole chaos and the whole point of this podcast. Apart from that, Tiago is a serial outperformer. This is what the best performers in OutSystems are called. And for how many years, Tiago, already? Uh, four. Four years. Four-time outperformer. And that's actually very funny because Tiago is 10 years younger than me, which you can imagine is very, very young. And it means that you are even way before your 30s. Way before your 30s. Way before, yes. <laughs> I am mentioning that because I remember once I asked you, where will you be when, when you're my age? And you replied like, retired. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that. And I actually think, so when do you think you will be when you're my age? Because you are going at a very fast pace. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where I'll be. I have more in my life than engineering. Uh, I have some family business. So maybe that works out and I'll be retired that way which means a lot of work that you are not paid to do <laughs> let's see I don't, I don't think too much on that right now i'm i'm on engineering and i'm i'm a manager so i i try to do my best here yeah thank you because i wanted to ask that you also have the bees and you also have the dogs yeah i heard that you can buy the best honey from the oliveiras in portugal <laughs> yeah I I wondered, where did you find time to code, to actually learn to code, having so many different side jobs? Yeah, I remember there are a lot of dead spots, uh, dead times during both of those jobs. When I was studying on, uh, on, on my university, I remember uh, once I had a, a project to deliver on Monday and it was still missing some points. And it was not that kind of job that you can take your computer and program. It was an hardware, an hardware project. So I had to, to take some chips, wires and whatever on the car. And when we were waiting to start doing the actual work, I was pulling wire, wires, configuring the chip, whatever. So you, you always find time. It's not that I'm that busy because I'm not. I, I love to play games. So whenever I don't have anything to do, I'm probably on my computer playing games. So I think you okay. can always find the time. So you need to have like some really good hacks on 
how to optimize your schedule and time. And that must be a lot of multitasking, right? <laughs> yeah, multitasking and prioritization. That's something that I do and I don't think too much on it, but I basically always think on what is the thing that I really need to do now. Start by the things that have more priority in my life and personal life and work life, both of them. And I do it without even thinking on it. Yeah, that must be it. So thank you for the first tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's rather uncommon to have somebody with so many things that are going on in your life and you're good at all of them, that you are a real Renaissance man, I would say. Just to give like a background, uh, we worked together in OutSystems for over a year and Tiago Apart from being a team lead and mentoring and coaching his team members, Tiago also helped a lot. He's a really strange engineer, Maria, who had no clue about Kubernetes or cloud native things. I really appreciated your help because when I started working there, I was just so overwhelmed because I wanted to at least understand what we are doing there to better help the teams. And yeah, you were always there for me. So thanks so much. Worries. My job, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but you go the extra mile and that's why I also invited you today because I think you are really great at what you do, but you don't just focus on one thing like, oh, now I have to just focus on my team. You you always looked outside and had a bigger perspective. You were a big help for me. We had at some point, I think like 30 teams that we were coordinating. And I say we mm -hmm. because you helped a lot with that. And you were one of those that always had a bigger picture view outside of the your own team. How do you do that? Having so much on your hands with just your team? Yeah, I just think that comes by experience. By experience, I mean, not the experience I have in the working environment. My personal life, like we were talking before, uh, for example, the bees, we don't actually have a plan because we don't, we don't order them to do something. So we plan on things, but then it rains. So we need to adapt whatever we were doing. So whenever I'm doing something, my personal life on bees and whatever things might change and i'm and i'm aware of all the all other things that can be happening at the same time so that helped really a lot and, and seems to be like the one thing that engineering is all about which is adapting to change and basically there's not much of a tip i can give besides being cautious and aware of the changes and think on how to adapt to to them as fast as possible it's something that you build it's not something that you note on your notebook and now you you're doing it every time uh, it comes with with time and with experience on on having those problems okay so it's it's like accepting that the change is inevitable right oh yeah because there is a lot of people that even though we know that you know there will be a change we make plans and especially when you work in safe you have those plans for the whole pi which is like five, six sprint. And people like to stick to this plan. Like, yeah, but we plan this. Let's just do it. Why are you changing things? And that's life. And that's also agile. And I think agile help people realize that, well, better prepare because the change is there yeah. to, and it's going to happen. Before we go into the role explanation, because there will be quite a lot of different things today. Could you explain, because you recently went to this dev lead conference in london mm -hmm. and i have never heard about development leadership conference could you explain briefly what is it all about and then maybe also about like things that you found that were really interesting would you recommend it yeah yeah it was the first time i went there by a recommendation 
uh, of Ricardo Neto, my manager for a long time, mm -hmm. since I joined Odd Systems. And he said that it's probably one of the best conferences he ever went to. So basically, the, the whole pitch of Lead Dev is exactly what, what we were talking about. At the time they started, they, they stopped and thought, okay, we don't, there's no conferences to help engineering managers and people lead uh, leadership of people in the tech area to help them out. There are a lot of uh, conferences about uh, specific technologies, generic technologies, about ways of doing things on projects, so to project owners and project management, but for turned into the people side of things and the ways to deal with people, not with projects and product, there are none. So they, it's the old pitch. So it's a conference turned completely to the leadership part of uh, leading people. It turns out to be a, a, a great conference because you learn about a lot of aspect, aspects. So how to deal with the team when you are managing, managing team, how to work with the team members to have them building their own path and understanding what are the next steps, Archi architecture, uh, product. I have a, a notebook that I took a lot of uh, notes from and I need I still need to go over it because I have like material to one year. <laughs> <laughs> now I need to prioritize, right? So self-perception of things you do, uh, recruitment, hiring. So it touches really a lot of things, emotional, emotional relationship, how to deal with yourself, how, how to know you are burned out. It depends on the speakers, but usually the speakers are, are really, really good. They really try to stick to the, to the goal of the company, which is helping team uh, leaders and engineering managers to succeed on their roles. And I really liked it because the first day, I, I also think this is usual. They have two days conference and one day before it's a workshop and the workshop was really good, which was how to become a successful change leader. And it, it was all about uh, changes and how to deal with changes and how to react to them. And we ended up touching the points of every single person that, were, that was there. We had like a 10 minutes talk about theory and then a 30 minutes uh, group talk or one-to-ones with other uh, people. And we found out that we are all struggling with the same problems. And it's really good because there are some companies or some individuals that already fixed that on their cases and they give us tips. The instructor were always uh, noting down all the tips that we were collecting through the, through the workshop. And at the end, it was very, very good because you get to know a lot of people before the actual conference which helps you in the following day on the networking side of the conference. So we are, you already know like an handful of people. You can talk with them. You can reach them and go to like company A, which is there with their own stand, explaining the company. You go there, you have some drinks, you, you have fun, you talk about your team, your company. So it's, it was really good and it's really well thought. And it was something that probably on a tech company would not work because you have so many backgrounds, so many seniorities. When we talk about people, there's no such thing as seniority because there is always a profile that you never had to deal with or a team composition that everyone is awesome or in being awesome, it's not about how they are as individuals, it's how they are as a team. So they work really good together and there might be teams that are the completely opposite. They don't fit well with each other and how do you turn around that thing? So it was really enriching. I need to go through my, my notes and actually take action. <laughs> It'll take some time. Wow, yeah, that's super interesting. Especially, I love the part that you just mentioned that there's in people management, there's no such thing as seniority because you can never know 
what you can find and what problems you will face. So there's no, until you get to deal with many different profiles, you will probably always find something that you haven't before. And, yeah. and doing this kind of workshops before the actual conference starts, you do so much um, networking there, right? Because of course, that's also the part that if you have like development conferences, not everybody is super extrovert, you know, yeah. even though you are an extrovert, it's so hard after like two years of being closed because of COVID. Now I can't imagine just going there and like, hey, everybody, just let's talk. Like what this way you have like a topic because you heard somebody say something you can start the conversation from, right? Mm -hmm. So, so yep. much better. And this is also because I have two thoughts there because one is like, it really helps networking and that's what you really need to do because where do you find other people in your role? You can only find them in your own work and usually there's no time to actually do like a guild or learn from each other. Yeah. That's also why I, I thought about this interviews, because I thought I know some great team leads and engineering managers. How do I help them share the tips and practices with others, if not through this kind of interviews, actual tips? I see this becoming a trend at the beginning, as you said. There was not even a conference for engineering managers. Luis, I interviewed him as the first interview. He is doing a podcast in Spanish where he mm -hmm. talks about all the things apart from coding. It's called No es solo código. It's not only code. Because somehow I think we are now realizing that we put the, the, all the developer things in like a development box. You just, you should be just interested about the code and the technology and making it great. And now we are, I think, like waking up to okay, we also have people management there. We also have some good practices to share about development and about like all around the coding itself, right? Yep. And, and even right now, as I've started doing some um, interviews for hiring, I, I also, and, and from the conference, I understand that in a lot of companies, and, and that was something I realized on the first day work, the workshop, uh, one hour after being there, when people really started talking and sharing their experiences. Something that I, I didn't knew because this is my first and only job as, as tech right after university. And I never experienced some, any other company. In our art systems, we are really, really ahead in terms of people development, people care, team composition, processes, and so on. Of course, like you experienced, we changed a lot of, we changed a lot of processes last year and it was, it was an art job to do because people are used to some processes and then we change everything completely. So we need to build everything from scratch in terms of how, how does the process works, documentation, etc. But in terms of personal growth, uh, building a career path for your individuals, etc., we are way, way ahead. And it's something that it's still lacking on a lot of companies and not only companies in a lot of areas, not only the tech area, to build your own career path to, to understand how are you performing, because that helps a lot on, uh, for example, uh, something that everyone understands, performance reviews and money, right? So at the end, to understand if you are getting paid well or not, it's all about understanding if you are performing as expected. And it's something that you on your podcast are trying to do. It's what does it mean to be to perform well 
as a manager and manager it's a level uh, above that but everything not a level but it's it's more of a side track like we have it on our system it's like a subway track the lower levels you are a developer and at some point of your career you can choose if you want to keep going on a tech side or if you want to manage people and for the tech side it's well prepared already at for a long time i, I know that it is like that for at least four or five years at out systems that we have the expectations of every single career level. So I think it's really important because it's what makes you happy. So you can be performing really, really good, but if you don't know, you are not happy because you don't know. And you just see bugs all the time. And your PO, it's always throwing bugs at you. So I'm probably not doing a good work because we have bugs. What's my job? It's fixing and having things working. I have bugs, so I'm not doing a good work. And maybe you are, and you don't know. And it's that is really something that I... Uh, I got from the workshop, which is out systems. It's really good on that point, but we are still lacking a lot of that in a lot of companies. Yeah, I, I, and that's great to go somewhere else to realize how great things you have, because as you say, you haven't worked in any other place. And yeah, I, I see that. And especially that's also the part that I'm talking with a lot of people that sometimes because in our systems, you have this double route right mm -hmm. you can you can branch <laughs> yeah it's a branch it's a branch who <laughs> 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 so then one branch is this technical development and i love it because not everybody wants to be a people manager and not everybody feels like they will be good at that and maybe they need to first before going to be a people manager they need to go a bit more ahead in this tech branch which doesn't mean it's only about code again but it means that they are individual contributors and i love that about also what we spoke with luis was that even though he is now an individual contributor he's like architect 3.0 we call him mm -hmm. he doesn't like the architect term though and he says in the end you are managing people not in the performance side but more in like tech excellence and helping them helping them also understand the product part not only the tech part so in the end whatever you go you end up being surrounded with people there's no escape from that now i see there is a difference and i spoke with actually a portuguese guy in barcelona joao Alvis and he <laughs> what else <laughs> what else can be the name yeah I learned when I was working in a Portuguese company that you actually have like six names and seven last names and that's confusing <laughs> for everybody who's not from Portugal <laughs> so he was mentioning that right now the people that come from and that's probably are you Gen Z so I don't know if you are but so people yeah, I was checking and I'm, I'm millennial as well oh, Gen Z is from 97 so... I'm still millennial <laughs> so, so yeah so in the millennial part we were more focused on like we're not so much focused on like this wide range of things you know more like okay you have to code this is where you will be great and throughout everyone that i spoke with that was the main focus like and then they have to discover from themselves that there's also the other part having soft skills doing all these different practices dealing with people it just has to come earlier in the career because otherwise you are like set for a very unpleasant surprise that you're getting better and better in the coding but you are not getting your so that's also again the great part of having like the expectations for each level because now you see that okay not just coding will not get me where i want to be even yeah. though it's very important so that's great that's where i'm really happy that there there are those conferences and that we start putting more attention to the people part of of the engineering manager role 
And could you explain a little bit your career path? Like, how did you end up where you are right now? Yeah, I started as a developer back on 2016, coming from university. I was the first member of a team called Runtime Core. And it's actually funny that everyone on the, that I talked with about this on, uh, on the workshop, core teams and runtime and etc. This is a really common name for a team. And I didn't knew about that. Uh, I was That's the first stuck so, so well in my head as well. Remember when you changed <laughs> the name, I couldn't change the name. Yeah, the name yeah we changed to backend runtime. So now it doesn't, yeah, it didn't it doesn't feel sound. good. Yeah. <laughs> so I was the first member because back when I joined, uh, Autisans was delivering the version 10 which introduced the mobile applications. So I was like, I, I was, I would still start my ramp up. The, the previous team was still finishing the project. So I started as the first member with Ricardo Neto as my team leader, but he was on vacation. So I didn't get to meet him on my first week. So you, sorry, uh, because we never said yeah. very briefly what OutSystems does, if you could just say it. Oh yeah, yeah. Sentences. It's a low code platform where you have your own IDE, uh, Visual Studio, for example, but for low code where you drag and drop visual component, uh, logical components, you build your data model, for example. Then you, with the click of a button, the application you built with drag and drop mainly, of course, you need to do some, some writing. You need to write names of variables or whatever. With the click of a button and with 30 seconds wait, you have your 30 seconds max. You have your application running uh, and hosted somewhere. Uh, and you can even, like, if it's a mobile application, you can even ask for a native build, like an iOS file or Android to install it on your devices. Basically, that's what we do. So you basically is automating the code process, the coding. Yeah, part. exactly. And this was the main driver when Autism started, which is we were always doing the same thing. Whenever you needed to create a new application back in 2000, uh, I was still a child. <laughs> You always had to do the same steps to get an application running. And then two or three months later, you start working on your logical part of your application, which doesn't make sense. So OutSystems is all about removing the excess part of the process where you are not worrying about your application and you are worrying about security, scalability, for example, and lets the developers and, and who uses our platform to really think on what they need to do on their application to optimize the speed of delivery and quality. Because if everyone has to worry about security, but no one is a security expert, you will have loopholes, right? So, and, and if, we, if we have security experts at OutSystems, making sure that we have security embedded in our product, no one that uses OutSystems has to worry about it. That's, that's our, our goal as a company. Great. Thanks for explaining that. So back to the story. You started. Back to the story. And you um, never met your manager. <laughs> I, ne I didn't met my manager in my first week. But I met João Rosado. So if someone is active for a long time in our uh, forums, etc., João Rosado is like the guru. Everyone knows him inside the company. Maybe not anymore because we grew so much that <laughs> no one has a chance to, to know him. But I, I sit uh, right next to João Rosado because he would be part of my team that week. And I started my ramp up. Then fast forward like three years, we always kept the same team. We started like one month after I joined, we start as a team and we start defining what was our goal in terms of team, uh, our project, etc. Uh, three years later, uh, there was a runtime core and a server core, of course. And the team lead for the server core team left out systems, meaning that we had no team lead at the time and we had to join both teams. And what we do call it platform core. Another great name. 
Yay, uh, the core, core like, for the win. <laughs> yeah, core for the win. Core, platform in runtime, and server, it's the, all the names of teams need to have it. And we had a, a huge team of 12 members. And back then, my manager needed some help managing the team. And he always told me that I was doing a really good job in our thing, making sure everyone is good with each other, keeping a good mood with the team. And he asked me if I could help him out, not as a team leader, but like, for example, in refinements for the runtime side to, to try to guide those refinements, to lead with the help of Jean Rosado, uh, some initiatives, for example. That's where I, where I started managing people. And one year later, the opportunity appeared where those teams splitted again, because there was a plan for the server part to grow a lot, anticipating what we, we did last year uh, with the, this new project. So those teams went uh, from five members to like 30 or 40 members. We had to split back then. And I became the team leader of the runtime side because we already had another team for the client and another team for the, the database. So that was covered and that was like two years ago. And in the beginning of the year, I had the opportunity to, to start managing these three teams of the runtime because again, I've, uh, I know them already. I know the area. They trust me. And I started as a manager on trial. On trial uh, means that I'm still learning. So I may mess up and that's okay. <laughs> so it's, it's like something that should be clear. And it's something that I also learned on the conference. In order to be successful and in, in, in change to the next level, advance on your career, your goal should be to make you not needed to perform your work. It means that someone that is below you or it's on the people that you manage, they can step up and start doing new things and learning because you're not needed. So the, their work is not super crucial that the world will burn. Otherwise, you will never have the chance to go to the next level because it's always crucial to have someone with context and someone with experience on that role. So you can't have a new person joining uh, on that new role. So. so you need to grow leaders in order to be a better leader. You need to grow and you need to make sure they have context on the things you're doing. So when they need to grow to replace you, because you need to grow to, to replace someone else on the, above you, it's a smooth transition. And you, for example, in my case, so I was team leader of backend runtime. We had Edward uh, from my team. He replaced me as a team leader because he had a lot of context on what we were, we were doing already. Everyone knows him already on the team. The team is really good uh, in terms of processes. Everything is smooth. They know how to do their work. Most of the times they don't need me to do like a refinement uh, or to plan. I'm just there writing notes. So it means that they are ready to have a change like this because it, it won't affect them that much. Of course, changing leadership will always affect you. It's normal. It will change the dynamics of the team, but they are in a better place than if I was the guy doing everything, doing code, accepting pull requests. I completely set that aside and for a long time, try to push that to other members of the team that ended up growing a lot in uh, like two years. And they were also top performers. Uh, so really, really good. Because again, I give, gave them space to, to grow and, and to have responsibilities as well, making my role available to someone else. And it wow. was not on purpose. <laughs> it was by chance. I, I, I learned effect. about this like two weeks ago. So yeah. uh, I didn't know. That's so it great. Out. It's so And so intuitively came to you, right? You didn't yeah, plan yeah. for that. But because you were always empowering people. You know, I was dealing with a lot of teams when I was in our systems, like 30 teams at some point, and I could know team members from your team and not many team members from other teams, which means that you gave them this space really and 
you were mentioning them, you were telling me to maybe reach out to this person because they are better at this or they know all about mm -hmm. it. This is so counterintuitive to like this command and control where people want to be the only one that knows because they are so afraid to lose their spot, not thinking ahead, as you just mentioned. Like if you think ahead, you need to make sure that you can be replaced because nobody will give you a promotion if they know, well, but I need you in that team. If that you are not there, the team will stop performing. Yep. Showing that, yeah, you know, my team performs even without me because everybody's empowered and they know what to do and what they are there for. Just so great to know. I love and that. And like I was saying, it was something that I didn't thought of. And it's something that I learned two weeks ago. And I, <laughs> I was doing it because of the process we have to evaluate people to make sure they have well-defined steps and they know what they are lacking. So all of that of redirecting you to a certain guy because he was dealing with that initiative came from the actual performance reviews where we ask for feedback to other peers and not only me. I'm not the only one that should evaluate people. Mm -hmm. I need to ask people that they work every day. So we ask for feedback to other peers. We go over the feedback. The individuals try to have action items to get better on things that they got feedback from. And this is all from a process we have on OutSystems that was completely uh, abstracted to me as a team leader. I just needed to follow that process because I know that process works. And if everyone does, if you ask for feedback, uh, if you do, I think in our case, it's like... Uh, Every quarter, you do a special type of one-on-one. -on -one. It's either feedback for growth, where you work for feedback, or setting goals, where you try to set goals for the next quarter, etc. You will end up having action items like just like this one. In that case, was uh, Paulo Freire uh, putting Paulo in front of initiative of authentication uh, to expose you, to have more people knowing you, to give you some more responsibilities to deal with that. And because that's the, ne the next step on your career, you will need to deal with people outside of our team instead of only our team members. So it's really important. Again, yes. back yeah. to the performance. You know, this, this also shows how important the company culture is because the performance review, all those things were invented and created by the people part, right? In the company. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you would think like, why would you need to people in, in the company? You already have people managers within the teams. What does those people do in the end? And look at how great job they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really putting the work of thinking on people as a responsibility or only responsibility of someone, uh, which is really good because if you have a complex problem in your hands, you won't think about all, all the others. Uh, so as a team leader, as a manager, as an individual, if you have a project to deliver next week, you won't stop and think about how can I be better, a better contributor? No, you have a problem in your hands. You want to get rid of it. And this is putting someone specifically thinking on well-being of everyone. Yeah, That's and good. creating a framework within which you manage and you work. And, and that's what you say. You don't have to think about it. It just works and it everybody follows it. I remember it was really great thought of how there was some emails to remind. There were workshops and explanations how to use it, what to do. And all the managers got like a special introduction to this process. Mm -hmm. And then everybody follows it. So you also get feedback on, okay, what in this process works, what doesn't, how we can improve it. So yeah, it's it's a great thing. I, I haven't thought about it before. It's like side effect of that. One of those things where you think like the basis of the company, which is great. And then other things just fall into place. We need to say hi to Eduardo Andrade. <laughs>
Hello, Edward. How is your work? <laughs> yeah, kudos to Eduardo. So, and that's to my other points, because I wanted to talk to you about a little bit about the importance of communication, which we covered quite a lot, because you were one of those great communicators and collaborators. It was just a pleasure to see how you also fostered this in other people, not only developers, but also other team leads and other managers or around you. And especially about those war rooms that you were creating. Could you explain? I think it's a great tool, even though now the best it's not the best name maybe for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? But yeah, at the time it was war room because we were kind of uh, at a war <laughs> and yeah. we had to use the helmets and, uh, and all. I think it's common to use that. So it's not that it is what it is. But there were a lot of pair and mob programming going on. Could you explain a little bit how that worked? Because I remember that sometimes I would just wake up and go to a Slack and there, oh, there's a war room going on and people are inside and there's a Zoom uh, shared. So how, how did you do it? What is it for? Yeah, it, I don't know exactly if I was the one starting that or if it was Nunu. It's all about doing what we were already doing in our team as well. So we don't have a war room, but we have a 24-7 Zoom meeting, which means that people can be there. And usually they are there. The team is there simulating a work environment. So for a newcomer, which we had like four last year, they need help pretty much all the time. So we tried to have a place where they could ask and it worked really well with backend runtime team. Maybe it doesn't work with other teams. At least in our case, it worked really well because people were there. And whenever they have questions, they would ask those questions to the more senior members because they were there available. You don't have to go through Slack trying to, to reach everyone who can help or do an at here in our private channel to notify everyone. So That was forbidden. That was like you could go to exactly. jail for that, right? Exactly. So <laughs> the war room, it's pretty much the same concept where... When you have some problem, you try to gather people that are needed to, to fix it. And that way we can talk with each other. And a lot of times you had people that were not in the path of fixing the problem, but they were there because they were learning uh, because we grew so much last year, and especially on those server teams. Some context maybe because usually our systems was a very i imagine everybody was going to yeah, work everyone. to the office yeah. and it was very i think mostly portuguese people were working there or people that lived yeah. in portugal <laughs> so it was easy to have everyone in the same place so there was a big culture of of that but then suddenly covid came and the office was closed for i think like two years and you could just go on very specific dates so people were working from home and you wanted to reproduce this working together environment yeah, exactly because when we were at the office if you were working on your task and there's something burning and people are fixing that like uh, 10 meters from you you can still hear it and you have context about it if you're at your place you you don't have it. so the war room it's kind of a place where you bring people that have context on the area where the problem is happening and together we try to fix it and it's it's not a closed room it's a public room that everyone that knows that uh, there is problems they can join the room and even now if i if i go there the link is still there and i can join the room i'll be there by myself because nothing is burning but it's basically to give everyone context about what is happening in learn and do you perk program there because i understand it was great also to see that not only people from the same team but people across different teams that needed to collaborate because had context of different 
you know something is broken it doesn't mean like one team's work is broken it's multiple teams mm -hmm. work that's yeah. broken and then they were there and what did you do did you pair programs did you like more programs somebody yep. most of screen? the times it was kind of mob programming it started with probably it starts with someone that has more context about the problem sharing the screen and the evidences and all the others that are there are probably looking for reasons for that problem to to occur and as soon as you have the problem identified the teams involved would probably start sharing this their screens and we look at the code and we we all think on ways to solve the problem uh, so it's yeah it's a mob programming session basically wow that's great and uh... You know, because there are still people that never use pair programming. Could you explain, like, just because in the war room time, it's, of course, it's like troubleshooting. And many people can troubleshoot at the same time. And then you share the screens. You see what they actually do. And then you troubleshoot together. You can help. You can pitch in, give other solutions and other ways of thinking. But when it comes to, like, pair programming within, you know, a task you have in a sprint, mm -hmm. like a user story, do you do that? Could you explain if you see any value in doing that? Yeah, we, we do. We've done it really often whenever we have newcomers. It depends on, on the newcomer profile. Again, people are different. There are also different types of pair programming. It can be that you with a senior member and you as a newcomer, you are sharing your screen where the senior is just looking at your code and giving you tips. But that's probably not the first step, right? Because when you join a company, you don't even know where to start. So probably it's better for the first couple tasks to be the opposite, to be the senior member sharing the screen and, and explaining the code to the newcomer and explaining the rationale to the newcomer while working. So the first couple sessions and then switch the roles and then switch to just, okay, contact me if you need it. It's really useful for newcomers. And I think for newcomers, it's pretty much a, a must to do pair programming. It's way better than giving a task to a newcomer and letting let him try to, to sort it out. He feels safer. If he, he feels that he can understand or if someone is already looking at my code, I feel that I'm doing a good work. Otherwise, they will tell me. But even on the day-to-day, -day, whenever we have tasks that can be paralyzed, the same task, so you need to do the same work or similar work in two components, you either split the task in two tasks or you try to pair program. Or when you have some task that doesn't have much definition, it's like a, a spike or a research, you also do pair program to have people with different understandings of the problem try to come up with a solution because that helps. It's better than reviews, by the way. It's better to have someone responsible to do, two people responsible to do the work than three people, one responsible and two as a reviewer because when you're reviewing, you are biased. Uh, and when you're building something from scratch, you actually think on the problem from the first stage without anyone giving you bias about something. Hmm. It works really well. I think you everyone mean, should try it at least you once. You mean biased because you already learned the solution somebody else thought about, right? And then exactly. you don't have this moment of you think about the solution yourself and then it mm -hmm. might be a different one than the it one It might be that... totally different, yes. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And uh, do you, could you explain a little bit how the teams are structured so we understand because right now and also about going back to your current role right now, because I understand that in the last year, you also had a lot of changes. POs were introduced to the team. So there were POs, team leads, and there are also scrum masters or like agile coaches. Mm -hmm. Could you explain how that worked? And then what's the role of you today, the engineering okay. manager? So we have 
shared agile coaches starting from there, which is a really important role. So they help you a lot on processes, uh, for example, pushing the team to have a good definition of done, definition of ready, uh, looking at uh, or building sprint dashboards to understand if you're taking like five days as an average to do a code review. That's not acceptable at all. So things like that, they have a lot of experience on team performance, so they will know where to start. And we had the, the chance to have uh, great agile coaches. So that's basically a shared responsibility because normally we don't have one agile coach per team. We mm -hmm. have one agile coach shared among like two or three teams. But because again, there are teams with different needs. There are teams that are really good already. So they just need some tweaks. There are other teams that need, basically they are just starting from scratch and need a lot of help from the Agile coach. So it's good to have shared Agile coaches. Then we have the PO. So it's responsible for the work uh, and projects that the team is committing to. So it needs to make sure that the work has the correct prioritization. It's well-defined for the team to think on the architecture and the, the right way to solve that problem. But if we don't have the proper requirements of, of, of a certain uh, initiative, we can't do that. So the product owner is the one making sure with product management. So that's not on the team. That's outside of mm -hmm. the team, product management. Product management is just the one trying to understand on the field what's needed and then push that to POs. And POs will prioritize that uh, against all the initiatives they have, including tech debt, including support alongside with the team. And finally, I think that's the only one I'm missing. Uh, we have the team leader, which is basically the responsible for the quality on deliveries of the team. And that means a lot of things. So that's like a statement, but means a lot of things. means that you need to be conscious of the technical solutions the team is presenting and implementing. It needs to be a good architecture. It, you need to make sure that the team has the correct processes to deliver something to the public without impacting them, because you might test whatever you need to test and you still find problems. So you need to make sure that if you have a problem, there's a way to to not have that much impact on customers. You need to make sure that if something goes wrong, uh, your team is able to answer the problems like support or even on-call uh, setups. And finally, and pretty much the most important, to have quality delivers, you need to have people with capabilities to, to do the, those delivers. So you need to focus a lot on the people and make sure the uh, people are aware of their performance and they have a path to fix the things they, they are lacking still. Uh, so, and that's the, the whole performance review, building a career path for the, the individuals, having one-on-ones to make sure you address their concerns or you explain them things that they don't actually understand or are overreacting. So that's the people side of the team, which will impact every single other aspect if it's not correctly managed. And I think okay. that's the composition of a team. Oh, I, we also I, have quality engineers. So those are just focused on the quality strategy of some teams. Uh, we have some that are allocated to a specific team, but I, I think we are moving now to a same strategy we have with Agile coaches. Quality engineer is some, someone that will be shared among some like two or three teams. And the goal is to make sure the team has the right tools to test whatever they are doing. So the team tests themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a big part of our something that our company always did. So you as a developer, you are responsible for the whole process. So you are not only coding and someone will test your code. You will do your own tests. And the, the goal of the quality engineer is to make sure 
the team has the right tools. So for example, if you're doing performance tests, you need some framework to start doing it. That Or in something that you know about, the end-to-end tests. We had some end-to-end tests running on a ring validation and someone needs to start building the framework so teams can then build end-to-end tests. So the quality engineers will do that. We'll build the, the, the framework according to the needs of the teams and then we'll educate teams to use that framework and become the owners of the actual tests. So they are not owners of anything. They are just there to enable teams. Wow, that's that's a very interesting way of seeing things and coding. What you said struck me a lot because you said that the team lead is responsible of the quality of the deliverables. You didn't say of the speed of how quickly we deliver or you know, the typical thing, you are responsible of quality. And I I love that because I think that's also one thing that we miss when you say we just code and then you like throw over the fence and there is some QA that will test and then give it back to you once you could have predicted that there will be a bug if you have tested yourself, right? Not saying that's not important because there are other processes to do that part because Mm -hmm. when you're testing your own code, it means that Again, you're biased to your solution, so you'll probably not think on every case. But then there are bug bashes, for example, mob bug bash sessions. We, we also have that. We had like a session with a, a limited version of our product uh, like some months ago where people could register to participate and they will build apps in our new version. And we found a lot of bugs, really a lot of bugs. So it's always something that will happen. Again, it's part of the quality strategy of the team to make mm-hmm. sure we also have those. But it, it should not be the primary way to think on quality, to have someone test testing your product. Yeah, that's great to know. Thank you. And now, what about your role? What do you no, do now? What about, uh, my, my role? Curious enough, it's something that we have a RAS matrix, which is like a matrix with uh, all the responsibilities across mm-hmm. the company and who is accountable, who, we, who should participate, and who, does, who has nothing to do with it, for example. Uh, and that goes from uh, manager to junior developer, uh, so the, 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 the roles. Uh, and funny enough, the manager role has nothing uh, on, our, uh, <laughs> on our matrix. So it's really something that it depends a lot from what I've understand already. It depends a lot on, on the area. The goal is pretty much the same as a team lead. It's making sure that your team is delivering with quality. But now your team, it's no longer individual contributors. Your team, it's a group of managers. You are still responsible for an area. For example, I'll, I'll be responsible for the runtime area, client, backend, and database, which means that I'm also responsible for the things that the backend team is delivering. So I need to make sure with my team lead that he's following the right processes, he's caring about quality, he's caring about support allocation to make sure that if something goes wrong, we, we, we go with it, uh, we, we can deal with it. You also work a lot in prioritization and something that as a team lead, you don't work that much, but you also should be part of. It's thinking on the future of your team, of your area, what will be the needs six months from now. Do we need to hire more people because we will need that people six months from now? So that's something that as a team lead, you are not that aware of. You know roughly the things that you will be doing. You know roughly the needs you have. 
especially when you are under capacity to deliver something. So you need to ask your manager for more people. But for things that you don't even know that they will happen, you will need to, to rely on your manager. And that's, from, from what I understand right now, it's really the, the key factor that changes from team lead to manager, which is about future of the team uh, and of the company in terms of what will be uh, the initiatives that we will have next quarter, how well prioritized are them before even present them to POs, for example. Okay. So, so you are more on like a strategic level right now, right? Yeah. So do you interact with some other people, let's say product managers or I don't know who can that be, but do you interact also with the people that are more focused on like, okay, what the product needs, where do we want to be not only as a team and organization level, but also on like product level or yeah, exactly. know, feature set level? Yeah, we, we, we will. Uh, <clears throat> so that's one of the processes, which is uh, understanding what are the next steps for in terms of initiatives. And for those, we need to interact with product management because they are the ones bringing the needs from the field, but we also need to bring the needs from the teams. In our case, we have an architecture team, so we don't have an architect per team. We have a group of architects for the, the whole company, and then some architects are focused in some areas. They also have their own prioritization in terms of needs. So it's not only about product, it's also about internal needs. So we are the ones that need to make sure the things are correctly prioritized because you need to understand the impacts of not doing something in terms of architecture. Uh, what will it mean in, long, in the long term for features? You, you might be putting a feature, it, it, it might take one month to develop, but if you take one month now, every single feature will take two, two weeks from now on. So you need to balance the needs with the context you have from PM, from architecture and from the teams, because there are also things that the team needs to do, like training. Architecture doesn't worry about training. Mm -hmm. PM doesn't worry about training. So you are the one that needs to identify everything that the team should be doing and pull that from the team leader to make sure that, that your teams are capable of delivering whatever they are doing with quality. Okay. Well, that's interesting. How do you feel? Are you excited about the new role? Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, right mm -hmm. now I'm full on hiring. I'm building a completely new team. So that's my day-to-day -day right now. Interviews, okay. interviews, interviews. <laughs> so we are coming to an end of this great interview. It's been an hour already. I'm, I'm super excited and I know we could talk for hours. I have the two typical questions I ask everyone. So now it's coming to you. So one, tips for first-time managers. You already mentioned, you know, you need to deal with bees early in your life and then everything is very easy. But for those that never dealt with bees, what do they do? <laughs> first-time managers as team leads? Or yeah. managing yeah, let's start individual contributors. Lead. Okay. Yeah. Individual contributors. I, I think it's really, really important to understand your team and the background and uh, what they want for their future. Because with that, you will do your game plan, right? Because there are people that aspire to be architects. There are others that aspire to be tech leads. There are, uh, there are others that want to be directors. They, others that want to, to become team leaders, for example. So it's really mandatory as soon as you start to make sure you know uh, where everyone is and what's the, what, what are their goals uh, as an individual. And be sure to do a lot of one-on-ones 
specifically to build trust on them. So not one-on-ones where you are just asking how's life, but one-on-ones with purpose, where you try to understand what's the status, ask, ask them to ask for feedback to other peers, go over that feedback, build action items uh, and goals for them. So that's something that I was not aware before uh, I became a, uh, becoming a team lead that was really that important and would really help me that much because it's like a framework. And if your company doesn't have it, push it, push it, push your company to have a framework for personal development. And, and basically that's my tip for a team lead. Okay, thank you. Ah, it's, it's interesting how those tips can be similar between different people who are in my world, best performance. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's great to see. People is always people, tech or yeah. not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and the last question, how do you see like the future of leadership, especially that we can deny that the remote work will stay with us? Everything has its pros and cons. This is here to stay. There are things that are more challenging with this setup. How do you see this evolving? I don't know. I think there will be pretty much no company where they will require you to be 100% at office. And that from my knowledge, it's something that everyone wants to not have forcing to go to the office. Uh, OutSystems takes a good, a good strategy to that. So we don't force people to go. We don't force a recurrence. We say that as a team, define your recurrence, define the best way uh, for your team. It might be once a month. It might be once a week. You guys know better than we do. So define that in the team because there are people that can't work from home. Right. They, they need to be at the office to be efficient. There are a lot of people that are going to the office every single day, but it, it should not be a rule. Uh, I really think that going forward, companies that want to take an open mind to this strategy of going to the office and making people go to the office will really lack on, on people because people will start to, to learn from companies that do that and from companies that leave people to decide whenever it's the best time for them to go to the office and they will start leaving. So, so every company should be open-minded because again, it's the change. And I think the best way to deal with this change is to, to leave teams to decide what's better, what's the best way for them to, to perform their work and trust, trust the process. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting that such a big company that used to be so everybody was going to the office, now they didn't even mandate to go like two times or three times. And it, I really love when I see self-organization and trust you know enacted so you trust your people you trust that they will know best and the teams are different one from the other so now there's no one size fits all when it comes to even a solution for going to the office really great thank you so much for taking the time it was really interesting and many very practical tips and very nice to talk to you i really hope we will have opportunity to talk again summer soon in the future when you are more into the role and then you could Tell us, are you happy? Every, or? Everything that I said wrong today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and maybe there will be a definition already, common general definition for everyone to uh, what that role means so everybody understands the same. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.